Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. This is the Athletics Football GM Podcast. And now, the Athletics Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic with Randy Mueller. Randy, how you doing? Doing great, Mike. Another crazy Sunday. Obviously, uh, they showed that anything can happen once again on, oh. on any given Sunday. Except for two things. The Cowboys and Jets cannot play good football. <laughs> I mean, unbelievable. Hard to watch games. And we are going to hit on the Cowboys today. We're going to hit on the Patriots, another team that doesn't look like the Patriots of old. We've got some thoughts on Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Big game this week. I'm excited for Steelers-Titans. I mean, two 5-0 teams trying to show their supremacy in the AFC. We may at the other end get to the Jets today. We've got picks. A couple good games. Obviously, the Steelers-Titans. We've got uh, the Bucks and the Raiders. And then we've got a couple good Ask the GM questions. So let's dive right in, Randy. And man, I like having two games on Monday night, but that Cowboy-Cardinal game could not end fast enough. What were your thoughts just watching it? I mean... Brutal. Yeah, I, I was I was uh, surprised by how disorganized Dallas looked. Just you know, and I guess you got to put the Dak factor in there. I do think uh, he his respect factor goes up because he's held that thing together. Um, let's face it, the Cowboys aren't as talented as people say they are. I think that's the thing that comes to mind for me. They talk about how how they have talent and how they've done this and that the last few years. Really, they're they're. They're below average talent-wise, and it showed last night. They struggled to communicate on defense. They really struggled to communicate on offense. I think Andy was rusty. Andy Dalton didn't see things quite as quickly as he has in the past. Their protection scheme was embarrassing. It wasn't complicated to block uh, what uh, Arizona was doing, and they couldn't do that. It was just a total debacle and from really from all sides. And frankly, I don't know how they solve it in the middle uh, of a season uh, where injuries have played a factor. So it's going to be a tough uphill battle for them. So, you know, and we talk about their talent being overrated, but when we compare really bad teams um, like the Jets, the Cowboys have way more talent on offense. I mean, from Amari Cooper to Michael Gallup to CeeDee Lamb, those are real receivers. They're all better than anyone the Jets put on the field for any snap for the whole year at wide receiver, in my opinion, from a talent standpoint. Ezekiel Elliott, you can say he's overrated or or, or whatever. He's better than anyone the Jets got playing running back. Um, and Andy Dalton, I'll give him a game. You know, I'll give him a rust factor game. And uh, I would think he'll be better than that. But he he threw a couple balls that bounced right off guys' hands. It wasn't him fumbling the ball twice like Zeke did early in the game. There's way more talent than there should be to look like that against yeah. an Arizona team, by the way, that lost Chandler Jones, who was their only you know player up front who was a matchup consideration. Um, brutal, ridiculous, 
As far as solving it, I think they're trapped. You're, you're not going to fire Mike McCarthy after five games because what are you going to do? Mike, make Mike Nolan or, you know, one of your coordinators the, the head coach for the rest of the year? I don't think so. You know, speaking of Nolan, defensively, I mean, it, he was last a coordinator with Atlanta and they were 31st and 32nd in the league. So that's not your solution either. What... If you're Stephen Jones, what are you telling your dad to do? And that's another part of this issue, <laughs> the, the structure of the team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if you if you were going to have a honest conversation with Jerry Jones and you were Stephen Jones and you just needed to just say it straight, what are you going to say? Well, I think there's two factors here. You've got a short-term issue and you've got a long-term issue. And the short-term issue is that Mike McCarthy's going to have to step up. I don't care what or how it's done, but he, he's the equivalent right now of, and we've talked about it, a mall cop. He, he's not calling the plays. He's not involved in the offense, at least on game day, like I would like to see him. Mike is a very disciplined guy. He's a very structured guy. And I just don't see that showing in the talent level and in, in on Sundays for Dallas. I do think you're right. Compared to the Jets, they have immense talent, and, and I don't think that's even arguable. But the short-term answer is Mike McCarthy. The long-term answer is, in my opinion, and to answer your question about the conversation that I'd have with Steven or Jerry is, they've got to change the way they build their team. They've got to change the way they evaluate talent. They've got to fit pieces in instead of just grabbing bells and whistles off the shelf and and adding pass rushers and adding perimeter players and adding, you know, some of the things that they've done. They just lack meat and potatoes at this point. Their offensive line, their defensive line, really their linebackers aren't what they used to be. They got Vander Lish back last week or uh, the other night and and it didn't matter at all. So they've just built their team with errors and and it doesn't fit their scheme. And that's the biggest thing I see is there's a disconnect between the addition of talent and the team building part with the schemes and the coaches. So they've got two two issues, a short-term one and a long-term one. I'm not sure how they get solved or in what time frame, but that's how I'd look at it. Yeah, you're absolutely right cuz I think we could see before we could see as this started to not look good that okay, what they'll do is they'll sacrifice Mike Nolan after the year, that'll be their move. But but they're already to that point this early in the season there's a long way to go. So what do you do? Does Jerry just sit in the owner's box and accept these defeats? You'd think something would have to be done. I think you're right. That's where Mike McCarthy if he has some sort of value or can can, you know, rally the team in any way he has to do it they do play the easiest remaining schedule in the league 36 percent so their opponents are 20 26 and 3 but that was a cardinal team last night that um you know was ripe for the taking in my opinion if you were a good team and they're just not so it's going to be i think a long season I'll just throw in one one personal antidote with regard to that in, in that I remember a conversation I had with Jerry Jones just after I was leaving the Dolphins. So it was probably 12, 14 years ago. And he told me then, you know, I think we just need to look at how we acquire talent. We need to kind of restructure our process for evaluations and how we build consensus. And you know what? That's never happened. It's 14 years later, and they've never done that. So they've always masked it. They've always resisted change in the personnel end. And this is not a slight on Will McClay, their personnel director, who I think to, under his power, they've done as good as they can do. They've done, but yeah, they, yeah, they've done better with him. Right. And so I just don't think the change that they've 
that you've seen in Dallas has ever included the personnel side. So they've they've kept things the same, and and I think it's going to take a total changing of philosophy before the results on the field change. Yep, absolutely. So let's move on from the Cowboys, who have sort of been the same for years with, with these same issues, you know. And we heck, we, we can take some credit because I think one of our first podcasts before the year was saying the Cowboys are overrated, and they'd lose a game in two, and you'd hear people say, "Hey." I still think the Cowboys are going to be fine. Well, they're not fine, and now they're injured. Uh, let's go to the New England Patriots because they're a team that's been as consistently good as anyone, and they've stumbled out of the gates before, but I think it's been a long time. Uh, you have to go back to the early 2000s since they've been 2-3 and three through five games. Uh, now, obviously, they didn't have their starting quarterback for one of those games, but I don't know if they're going to go and beat the Chiefs on the road. Anyway, this was hard to watch, their game against Denver. Um, really, it was only as close as it was because Denver, for some reason, was throwing the ball late in the game, as you and I talked about over the weekend. Um, what do you see with them, and can they? is there any hope they can pull out of it? Well, I think what we saw is we saw, in, in their case, and then compared to the Titans, two teams that are in the middle of COVID issues – that didn't practice for two weeks, really. I think the Pats said they practiced three times in a 16-day stretch. The Titans may have practiced less, and the Titans won two games in the middle of their stretch. But the Patriots, to me, looked rusty. They looked older. They looked a little discombobulated. You know, and it starts up front. Really, the offensive line for them, I think, let them down. Uh, they're starting two rookies up front now in the O-line. They lost a right tackle during the game. I think their best player up front is a First round pick from a couple years ago, Isaiah Wynn, who's really the left tackle. They started him at left guard the other day and then moved him back to left tackle and he got abused by Bradley Chubb. So their, their issues start there. But I was also taken back by Cam Newton's, uh, really lack of performance. We can, we can say it like that. But I think talk about rust. He looked rusty to me. He looked slow. He looked lethargic in, in, just his processing of information. It was like he went from the dock, dock on the bay to the Audubon overnight. You know, he'd been inactive and, and obviously missed a game with COVID. I just felt like that Cam Newton is not the Cam we had seen before. The problem they're going to have is they look ordinary in a running game that really has no second level or third level. They just don't have perimeter players on offense that put fear into anybody. And, and as we saw, Denver, Denver sneaking safeties down in the box. They're they're crowding the run. They're going to make Cam Newton beat them, and and they don't they they do this with little or no risk because there's no speed that New England has that that Denver feared would run by them. So I thought that was kind of a simple breakdown as to what happened. Denver just didn't fear anything New England did on offense, and and I, I can understand it because there was rust and and Cam wasn't what he had been in in the first month of the season. Yeah, and you know, last year for Tom Brady, it was an issue of what's the weaponry, right? Gronk had left, and they've they've been, you know, trash heap shopping at receiver for years. You know, oh, let's try Antonio Brown, let's bring in Mohamed Sanu, let's just find a guy, right? And I was looking through their uh, production this season just to see what the difference was from last year. Here are the guys for New England who have caught a pass for the team this year. Who didn't last year? This is sort of the new to the team. Demir Bird, Damian Harris, Isaiah Zuber, J.J. Taylor. Even Cam Newton caught a pass. Uh, he's not a new receiver on the team, but he might as well be because there's nobody there, I don't think, 
and Demir Bird has the most catches with 17. There's no one there that is a game plan consideration for the other team right now. So uh, what is their, you know, what is their comeback? What is the adjustment? Um, we know they're going to practice well and, and they're going to coach them well. And so they're going to get sharper through practice. I think we can all agree with that. But um, is there a is there an adjustment to be made in terms of how you play, who you play, that can make this team, you know, sort of whole again? Yeah, I, I think it's a good point because after five, six, seven weeks, it becomes a league of adjustments. Now there's plenty of film. People can study exactly what you're doing, your tendencies. And I think Josh McDaniel is going to be challenged because of it. I don't know that there's a second level that that makes this offense sustainable over 16 weeks. You're talking about Cam taking a beating for the most part because he has designed quarterback runs, which is what he has to do. And then the fact that the passing game is really elementary. It's a it's a play action, uh, single receiver, sometimes two receiver passing game that people can just gang up on it. So I just don't know if the offense is sustainable for the long period of time. But going back to your receiver point, Mike, I totally agree. I think you've got to blame some of it on their drafting. They've drafted first first round receivers. If you go back over the last 10 years, I'll bet you they've drafted two or three of them and really none of them have, have produced. None of them have worked out. So they have struggled to find receivers for whatever reason. That's not been Bill Belichick's strength is other than the Randy Mosses of the world, uh, you know, that he got off the scrap heap way back when. They haven't drafted and developed receivers at all. There's always been an issue there. So they're going to have to find a way to do that. Um, obviously, it's not going to help them this year. But going forward, if they don't do something about the weapons, I think you're looking at a 500 team. And that's why I thought Le'Veon Bell might be a good fit for them coming out of New York last week. That's a guy that can do a lot of things for them in the passing game, the running game. I don't know what their interest level was, but I thought that would have been a good upgrade from for a potential weapon for New England. Yeah, and so they took they took Nikhil Harry with the 32nd pick of the 2019 draft. And you look at the other receivers taken that year. Marquise Brown was a, a little bit ahead of them. You had Debo Samuel going to San Francisco a few spots later. Uh, A.J. Brown was the next guy after that. Then it was uh, Nicole Hardman. Uh, you got a few more picks down. You're going to probably see you're going to see D.K. Metcalf in there. Yep. You're going to see Deontay Johnson for Pittsburgh. You're, those are some guys that you'd like to have on your team. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no that's a lot. Like that's yeah. most of those guys are hits. Right. And so. Uh, the basically other than Marquise Brown, who went to Baltimore ahead of where New England was picking, the Patriot scouting department had, which is you know Bill Belichick's a big part of that, had their choice of those of those guys. You really could have put those names in a hat, randomly picked one, and probably gotten a good receiver uh, that would have been a difference making player. And, and I don't know, what do you see from Nikhil Harry? I, I know you watched the, the tape yeah. of the game the other day. What, what, what did you think of him coming out? Is there a, is there hope for him in the future? I do think there's hope. In fact, I studied him a little bit before the season started and, and I thought he was, when they cut uh, Mohamed Sanu early in preseason, I thought, well, Harry must be coming along. And, and he's a guy that has talent and that I thought showed some flashes of it last year. He just hasn't been able to consistently produce. And I think that's the big level is uh, the big difference with these guys when they come from college into the pros. They've got to learn a new game. They've got to learn how to beat man coverage. They've got to learn how to fight through physicality downfield. There's some adjustments for 
these receivers. So they have talent, but then it's a matter of putting it all together and, and making some plays and and uh, getting bigger, getting stronger, understanding what they're doing offensively. And sometimes it's a struggle. And it just seems to me like the guys that New England have drafted at that position over the past several years have not stepped up at all and haven't been able to develop. So something's missing there. Yeah, they do get to play the Jets this season, so that's going to help them. Uh, but it looked a little tough. I think it's going to look a little better. I think you're right that Cam was rusty, and he'll come back and be better. But I, there's nothing exciting about it <laughs> to where right. you feel like they're going to challenge in the in the AFC. So uh, definitely a team we want to watch the rest of the way. Along with the Cleveland Browns, let's get into the Browns a little bit. I think both of us ended up picking Pittsburgh and, and, and giving the points last week. We felt like that was going to be a tough game um, for Baker Mayfield, and it was. Uh, what? Where do you see sort of where they're at? Because I think sometimes once you show that you're no longer horrible anymore, this could be for a quarterback or, or anybody, then we start comparing you to people that are even better than that, right? You, you, go, from, you go from, hey, you know, um, Josh Allen's had a nice start this year, and then by the end of the year, you're like, yeah, but he's not Mahomes, you know, <laughs> right? right? So right. so the Browns were this laughingstock team. They come out 4-1. and one. We, we pat them on the back. Hey, this is a team. We like the coaching, the, the GM. There's some synergy there. Uh, but then they go out and lose 38-7 to seven to Pittsburgh, and, you know, it's not that the sky is falling, but you sort of get a reality check. What did you see? What do you – think of where they're at and going, especially with Mayfield. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, again, like we just said, there's there's a blueprint that usually comes out about this time of the year of how to play teams. These coaches are really good in the NFL. They figure things out and they understand what they need to do. In this case, I saw the Cleveland team just in a matchup situation really struggle against Pittsburgh. Now, let's face it, Pittsburgh's a good team. We're going to talk about them later in the podcast. And, and they have both sides of the ball pretty much mastered. But I saw Baker get exposed. I saw him get exposed from a coverage standpoint. He got fooled on a lot of schemes. And I think you showed uh, the physical limitations that he has because he's a smaller guy. I don't know how he's going to hold up over 16 games. I don't think he could if he played the Steelers every week, but hopefully they can keep him upright a little better. But he's just a smaller guy. I think durability is always a question with small guys. And Bill Parcells always used to tell me, he'd say, Randy, little guys get hurt. That's just the way it is. And and I would worry about Baker with that. And, and it showed when Kevin Stefanski took him out of the game late in the third quarter and then later explained it by just saying, I just didn't want to see him get hit anymore, which one tells me you got to do a better job in protections and, and taking care of him. But two, there was some genuine uh, uh, worriedness there, if that's even a word, uh, to, to get him uh, through the game and ready for next week. He was already coming in with some rib injuries and and some other things. So I thought, I thought Baker kind of took a step back. Uh, the, the thing that really concerns me for the Browns, and I like the Browns. I'm with you 100%. I think they've been a nice story. But going forward, they're going to have to find a way to get leads in games to be successful because they got to run the ball. If they run the ball and can use play action, it's one thing. But when they get behind, get behind on the sticks, have to depend on Baker in the pocket, I think that's going to be a struggle. And we've said before, the pocket isn't for everybody. I think in Baker's case, they're going to have to keep him on the move. He's going to have to run some more bootlegs, some some semi-rolls. But the hard part with that is you shrink the defense and they only have to cover half the field when he's out rolling to the right or to the left. So that comes with some some issues on the other side as well. He's got to do a better job, though, of reading post-snap coverage. Um, they ran 60 plays on offense, Cleveland did. I would bet Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma ran 60 plays in 
three quarters or two and a half quarters. So the, yep. the, the way you manage a game is totally different at the NFL level. The clock changes that. The clock doesn't stop all the time like it does in college. And you don't get, sometimes I've looked at a lot of Oklahoma table over the years and uh, 100, 110 plays sometimes. It's crazy. You can afford to call plays. If it's not there, you burn it. You go call another play. You come out, you run it. Not in the NFL. You can't wait to make adjustments from really series to series. You got to make them in post-snap during the play. And I think that's something Baker is still working with. Yep, absolutely. You know, with him, uh, I was worried a couple weeks ago. We picked the Colts Browns game, and I I picked the Browns to win, and then immediately regretted it. They wound up winning, but in the second half of that game, I think they figured out you know how to play Baker Mayfield and keep him right. in the pocket. He's got seven touchdowns, five interceptions from inside the pocket this uh, season, which isn't great. And when I look at him being a number one overall pick, you know, I guess I would ask, what is the differentiating quality? What's the elite trait, right? Yeah. Um, I think if you're going to be somebody who needs to thrive or is at your best when you're moved from the pocket, I think that can be okay uh, if you bring a dynamic trait there where, where, okay, once he's out of the pocket, oh my goodness, this guy is going to run for 15 yards or he's going to throw it back across the field, John Elway style and Michael Vick style, these guys who could really spin the football. Right. Um, I don't know that he has the playing strength. I'm not a scout, Randy, but but I think I'd be able to see that if if he had it. What <laughs> what do you think about him just long term? You know, they're going to have a decision on him with a fifth year option, and do we build our program around him? And with Stefanski, he didn't pick him, so they right. could probably have some leeway to decide where to go. You need an alternative, but I don't know that I want to hitch my long term wagon uh, to somebody who doesn't have a differentiating trait. Can he just grow and, and become a good enough pocket passer that hey, we don't need the differentiating trait? He can just be a good pro quarterback. Well, I think there's a chance that those skills can develop, but I'll say this, Mike, coming out, it was not a consensus that he was the number one pick in the draft. That's for sure. I was with the Chargers at the time, and, and I think my grade on him was a second round player. There was a lot of discussion in our draft room about Baker Mayfield, but um, I don't think anybody thought this kid was the first pick in the draft. So I think that a lot of people saw, or some people saw a Drew Brees, they saw a Russell Wilson. You know, you're talking about a six foot tall guy who has to stand in the pocket and process information. So just start with that standpoint. There's some obvious deficiencies there. So I think defensive coaches make you in time beat you, beat you from, beat us from the pocket. And that's yep. what Baker's going to have to do is stand in the pocket, process and make all the throws. He didn't do that at Oklahoma. That wasn't his strength. They moved him around. So you have to make a commitment on offense that that's what you're going to do before you even consider bringing him on, whether it's as the first pick in the draft or the first pick in the third round. Is he fit? Does he fit with our offense? So. You know, yeah. we'll see. Yeah. Time will tell. I do think there's some progress there that he can make, but I just go back to my initial thoughts on him. And as a second round talent, uh, a guy that over, you know, kind of an overachiever and a very competitive guy, he was high strung. Um, the high strung part of it really isn't what I'm looking for in a quarterback. I'd want a calm, more even keel type personality. And that kind of bothered me as well coming out. So time will tell. I, I, he has the skills to be a, a decent quarterback in the NFL. Yeah. I don't see him ever being Drew Brees or Russell Wilson, though. Yeah. So here's what I like for them is, is okay, they, they've played Pittsburgh and Indy. And, and so for the last six quarters or so, they've kind of been getting their tail kicked. And it's been the worst of 
the worst view of Baker, right? And he's been hurt. He's gotten hurt, too. So uh, the rest of the way, they have the third easiest schedule, remaining schedule in the league. That's going to help them. They're going to play Cincinnati. They're going to play the Raiders. And they're going to get a bye. And then they're going to play Houston, which just gave up 600 yards. So we may be able to see him get a little bit of a breather, not having to go against the top defenses. Maybe they can play more to their style. And here a month from now, we could be saying, hey, nice. You know, Baker Mayfield pulled through this. But I think those long-term uh, concerns of what you are and, and what, what happens against the top defenses will be uh, will be important. And we'll see how that goes over the rest of the year. They still have some games later in the year, Baltimore, Pittsburgh again, um, where, you know, ultimately you're going to be measured in the AFC North. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's stay in the AFC North. Man, I'm loving this game with with Pittsburgh and uh, and Tennessee in Week 7. And uh, I guess that's in our pick segment, too, uh, and... I like, I don't know, I, I like Pittsburgh. Both these teams did suffer some big injuries. I mean, I think losing your left tackle for Tennessee, at least they drafted a tackle in the first round, but that's tough. Devin Bush is a really good player for Pittsburgh, inside linebacker, all over the field. And if you remember when they lost Ryan Shazier, that, 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 that hurt him. That took him a while to recover from that. In fact, Bush was selected, you know, not long after that. So what do you think of this matchup and, and, you know, just both these teams at this point in the season, 5-0, and oh, I mean, you, you can't do much better than that. I think it's a great matchup, and obviously because of the numbers uh, and the success these teams have had. Um, I, I'm with you on Pittsburgh. They're the one team to me that I know the Chiefs played well last night, and the Chiefs are the defending champs. But I look at Pittsburgh, and I'm not so sure that they aren't the most balanced team and maybe the best team in the AFC because of it. You know, they allow 18 a game. They score 31 a game. Ben is taking his game back to where, you know, a little renaissance of where he was two or three years ago. So that's a good thing. Um, I think going to the Titans, uh, they're still a little bit of a favorite going down there. The Titans are coming off the COVID scare, but they had two wins in in that process. Um, I think it is a great matchup. The Titans, to me, are about as old school as you get. You're talking about you know, uh, Eddie, no, I keep saying Eddie George. I want to call, King, <laughs> exactly. I want to call King Henry, Eddie George, every time his name comes up, but yeah, back to back 200 yard rushing games. I mean, I think I read that's the first time ever a team has had three, a, a 350 yard passer and a 200 yard rusher in the same game. Uh, it, absolutely. You know, and I want, one thing I want to say about this is this is a great, we talked about the running backs earlier in the year that got new contracts. And I yep. think, you know, in a, in a perfect world, you wouldn't ha- commit a bunch of money to a running back, right? Just on paper, we, we would agree that you can find guys uh, you'd rather have your money going to pass rushers or cornerbacks or, you know, if you had to allot it just in a in a chart. But that's not the way it works as a GM. I mean, you're, right. if you're John Robinson, you know what team you had and you're like, Eddie George is important in my locker room to how we want to play. He gives us an element that is showing up on the stat sheet right now, but doesn't always with the running back. Um, you, you know, your thoughts on them, him, how they've 
how they've kept this team together. I mean, you can't knock it, even though you would have said, don't pay a running back. And you might have said, ah, I get nervous paying Ryan Tannehill. I mean, it is it, it, pat on the back to those guys. Yeah, no doubt. I think we mentioned it at the time. Derrick Henry is special to them. That's what he does. That's what they are. It's a great match. It sends the right message for them to pay him how they did. You know, he is not Alvin Kamara. He's not, you know, Joe right. Mixon. He's not down back. You know, yeah, not yeah. kind of that kind of back, but that's also not what they're asking of him either. I think he's proved without a doubt that the last two weeks, he's exactly what they want to be and what they do. I think if it were a great match for Mike Vrabel, and Vrabel knows, he's played on defense in the league for a long time. He knows what gutting a team with a running game can do emotionally to you. And so he's out to prove that, and they've done a great job of it. The other thing is, Ryan Tannehill's numbers have obviously gone up the food chain since he left Miami, but he's developed as a quarterback more in the last two years than he did the first six in, in Miami or however long he played. Oh, yeah, yeah. What do you see with him? Yeah, what do you see in, in relation to what he had coming out, you know, because well, questions. I think he's a guy that's always had a little longer learning curve, but remember, Ryan Tannehill was a receiver at Texas A&M for a while. I mean, Mike Sherman was his coach there. He went back and forth with, do I make him a quarterback? Does he play receiver? He didn't have a lot of body work when he came out of Texas A&M. So you always felt like the learning curve might be longer for him. And let's face it, it takes four or five years for these guys to get comfortable. And what I mean is they have to develop their trade. They can't just be memorizing new offenses all the time because the coaches have been changed, the system's been changed. You get to settle into one system them and and you inter, you understand how to process the information and that starts from a game planning point during the week and then from a pre-snap and post-snap during the game. I just see the game is really slowed down for Ryan Tannehill. He's processed in the development of being a quarterback and he's light years ahead of where he was in Miami. But having said that, he flashed this in Miami. I remember a game one time when again I was with the Chargers. We went down and played Miami Miami in Miami. He played a perfect game and until the last few weeks I thought was his his, you know, shining light in his career. I mean, he tore us apart and hit every throw and showed accuracy of pinpoint, you know, timing and precision. And that went away. That was just in flashes at Miami, much more consistent in Tennessee. And let's face it, they've done a good job. Arthur Smith, the offense, they've kind of fit exactly with what their skill set of their players are. Uh, That's a big, a big thing in the NFL right now is fitting your skill set with your schemes. I've been so impressed by Vrabel, you know, and I was so little skeptical when he was hired. Remember, they sort of promoted him to coordinator at Houston, and, you know, there was a little bit of an anointed feel to me, and then he gets hired, and you know how hard that job is, right? Sometimes you come in, and he hadn't even been a coach in the league for 10 years yet, you know? Uh, And so I was skeptical, but just watching him, uh, I think – He's really grown into this. I was very impressed. I was on a, uh, about an, uh, a Zoom call with him for a few hours earlier this season with that quarterback summit where he was uh, mentoring younger coaches or just other coaches. And he had a real vision and a plan and a maturity to how he thought through, like putting together a staff, right? Yep. I mean, he was telling people how a couple of his best friends that he had played with uh, were guys he did not bring to Tennessee. Because right. he did not think that was the best way to go. He he was very disciplined in, instead of taking care of his buddies, like we see all the time, just putting together the best staff to reach the players, you know? Yeah. And I just thought that was impressive. And when, so when you look at, like, to me, when I look at the matchup, 
Pittsburgh, Tennessee. Look at these two coaches, Vrabel and Tomlin. They are curators of the culture. They're not just scheme gurus. And so as we watch the league this year and you see this offense doing good, this defense, we keep hearing, oh, well, this coordinator should be a head coach. And maybe he should. But these two guys here were not ace coordinators. Right. Um, Tomlin was 6-10 and 10 in Minnesota. They got the right guy. Right. Rabel, to me, it looks like they got the right guy. I mean, I... No doubt. You know, it was a little rocky at times this year with the whole COVID thing. But guess what? They're not getting punished in a big way. They're, they're not losing draft picks. So... Uh, they're going to ride that out, it looks like. And, uh, yeah, and I think yeah. the common ground, Mike, is that these guys are leaders of men. That's what they are. More than anything, they are leaders of men. Technicians, sure, but you can also add technicians on your staff. These guys are leaders, and they have been. And I think in Vrabel's case, kind of an under-the-radar student of the game. I- I'll just tell one quick story. When I was in Miami, Nick Saban and I went up to Ohio State to work out a receiver one late spring, uh, maybe a week or so before the draft. And Mike Vrabel was still playing at the time. And he was sitting at the in the end zone. And he was playing for the Patriots. He was riding a bike in the end zone. And I had never met Mike, Mike Vrabel. How would yeah. he ever know who I was? Obviously, he knew Saban. But we just happened to walk by and I said hello to him. And he says, Hey, Randy, how's it going? And he started asking me questions. And, and I don't even know how he knew who I was. You know, wow, and it, it was really? just crazy how perceptive he was even back then as a player. And I've always thought since then, this guy kind of gets it. He's He's got bigger goals and aspirations. And that was when he was a player. So am I surprised? Not really. This guy has shown over the years that being a student of the game and being a natural leader are two things that go a long ways toward being a successful head coach. And you can underestimate a guy because he played, he's a linebacker. You, you just no sort doubt. of have a certain, you put him in a certain box, right? Yep. No um, doubt. And I think Mike Vrabel is showing us he's not in that box. Maybe he transcends that box because this is impressive. <laughs> I did want to get to one thing on them. We were talking about the quarterbacks. And while, while you were talking about uh, Tannehill, I just dialed up. So they've got 18 starts of Tannehill now counting the playoffs. So mm-hmm. uh, I dialed up his first 18 against Marcus Mariota's last 18. And yep. It's unbelievable. That, I mean, the, the number of pass attempts are about the same, 502 to 509, right? But they are, with Tannehill, 41 touchdown passes and eight interceptions, okay? It's 20 and 10 with, with Mariota. So double the touchdown pass production with two fewer interceptions. That is unbelievable <laughs> to me. They, their running game as a team... They've got an additional 700 yards rushing. Some of that you're probably ahead in the game. But, you know, their rushing touchdowns are up. Everything is up through the roof in a way that you have to give credit to Arthur Smith and to some degree, but to, to just Tannehill. So really remarkable. And I think we're going to find out this week if, you know, if he steps up and has a good game against Pittsburgh, then it's huge validation. If he doesn't, I'm not... And that's okay. I mean, Pittsburgh's a good team. Maybe right. we find out where, where they're at in, in the AFC. So, no doubt. Um, yep. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Randy, you know, we talked about it was hard to watch the uh, Cowboy game the other night, but man, any game involving the Jets is hard to watch. And uh, I guess it was somewhat entertaining that CBS had a camera on Adam Gase and, and Greg Williams uh, <laughs> before the game last week. Because last week, basically, Greg Williams said, yeah, our defense is bad, but a lot of that's because of the offense. That was the translation of reading between the lines. What a mess. Um, what a mess with the Jets. Uh when you watch, or I guess we talked about, you know, Dallas as a team that's struggling, but they have some talent. When you watch a team that doesn't have any talent, which I think is the Jets, um, it's a long season. What should the Jets do for their future right now? Do you just ride it out? Right. Do you make a change? Uh, you know, for the culture, do you have to say that we don't stand for certain things? What would you want to see the owner or the GM do? for this team, both short-term and long-term. Yeah, the Jets, it seems like we've been talking about them forever, Mike. I I, I mean, yeah. it's been a total grease fire. There's no doubt about it. But I, I even said this yesterday on a couple of radio interviews. I think they're probably better off just staying the course right now. I don't know what changing the head coach will do. Um, you know, some people say they're tanking, they're doing this. I, I got news for you. They were trying their butts off when the season started. And, oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I don't know if there's a particular move that I could really question, but I think the combination of everything they've done roster-wise has been a little bit of a, a debacle for me. And it started last year, you know, when they were trying to talk Ryan Khalil out of retirement, the center, which they did. They paid him $7 million. He ended up playing seven games, I think. Yikes. So that was in a no-go. So really that told me, what are they? They're adding a 30-something-year-old center to a roster that they say they're trying to rebuild. That didn't make any sense to me. Uh, you know? yeah. So there was yeah. a, a, a diversion philosophy right off the bat. Then in free agency, they let Robbie Anderson, the receiver, go because he wasn't developing like they wanted. And guess what? He went to Carolina, and he's developing like crazy right now. And we all know about the Jamal Adams one and, and the Le'Veon Bell one. You know, they've, in combination, think about all the talent that they've let go, and they've really added one guy. They've added the tackle from Louisville, and, and maybe he's a and probably a good player for the next 10 years. But at this rate, they'll never catch up to where they were before. They've let go so much talent that I don't know how they break even, and that's a struggle for me. I just think you've got to add to your roster instead of always yeah. looking to, to, to delete. And they traded another defensive lineman uh, Sunday to Tampa, 
uh, which yeah. this guy played for Todd Bowles in a 3-4 scheme and fits exactly what Tampa wants to do. They're trying to shore up their run defense. So, And the guy drove from the game. to the, I mean, This felt like <laughs> something out of another era. You know, yeah. you're getting traded. Bull Durham or something, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're driving yourself to the next team. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like. What was this, semi-pro I mean, ball? Well, yeah. You might as well caught a Greyhound bus, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know. A light bulb, you know, went off a little bit in my head when you were talking about the Khalil move. Because when you look at some of those moves, like like Ryan Khalil in, C.J. Mosley in for $17 million. Um, Le'Veon Bell came in for a big one. So that's a team where the GM is telling the owner or the owner is telling the GM, hey, you know, um, we, we really want to compete. You know, we're, we're pretty yeah. – we're, we're not that far away. Um, and so when, when that's happening in a building, then, you know, you've got – you're trying to – sell an idea to your fan base, to your season ticket holders in a new stadium, right? Where it's probably way more expensive than it used to be. Um, that, hey, we're trying and we're close. So now when you find out that you're not, when it's now clear that you're not, um, sometimes it's hard to publicly make that transition and admission, right? I mean, you've sort of declared that you're going to be good. So it's hard. Yeah. Yet we, Yet we can clearly see now that's not. So I feel like I want somebody to talk about the long term a little bit there too and just say we have a plan. This is what it is. It'd be a little hard to do during the season, but maybe your goal is just to get a little bit better. (laughs) No doubt. It's to win a game next week. Yeah. Yeah. The problem is you can sell that publicly. That's one thing, or you can try to sell it. But selling that in your locker room is really hard. Trust me, they're not drinking that Kool-Aid. Nobody in that locker room wants to talk about a rebuild. Those guys are giving it everything they got. And they've seen the exodus of talent now that has left this team the last two years. That's a hard sell. That's the hardest sell of all. And I always say those guys are your biggest critics and people probably get tired of me saying it, but it's a fact. So I don't know. I think there's going to be a loss. There has been a loss of confidence already. And again, I don't know Joe Douglas at all. He may be, like I say, the Ron Wolf for all I know. But the exodus of talent is what people see. The addition of talent is been promised, but time will tell if that's coming. And that takes patience. I think long-term in our business now is two years, maybe three at the most. So to say you're going to be good in five or six years is a you know pipe dream. That's Who knows? That, that's a long ways down the road. Yeah, yeah, that's ideally what you would do. You'd you'd hire people that you think are good people, and then you'd let them do it over time, and it may right. take time there. I think the interesting thing for them is uh, it's easy if you are 0-16 and have the top pick, you take Trevor Lawrence. What's interesting for them is what if you have the second pick or the fourth pick or the fifth pick? Now you've got a little dilemma where you may not have that quarterback for sure that you want to replace Sam Darnold with, and then how much better can you get uh, at that point? So. Difficult situation either way. If you do get the top pick, there's a lot of pain along the way um, in getting there. Randy, our picks for the week. I think last week uh, we were 500. Both of us thought that Green Bay was going to do better against Tampa Bay. That didn't happen. And then both of us thought that Pittsburgh would have its way with Cleveland, and they did. Um, I like two games this week. I think we've agreed upon. We've got Pittsburgh, Tennessee is our first one. Steelers by two. I'm going to lean that way. I don't feel like the defense of Tennessee um, has been good enough. I'm a little worried making the pick because, like the Texans have or the Titans have shown an ability to win anyway. I'm just going to bank on, hey, nine lives maybe. Maybe it's up. You know, maybe this is the week you lose uh, a game and and 
they have a good plan for being able to contain that run a little bit and play in physical defense and make it a little bit more of a game between the quarterbacks. And, hey, maybe Tannehill's better than Roethlisberger. We're going to find that out. I'm going to ride with Big Ben in this game. How about you? Yeah, I think all your points are valid, and I'm on board with all those points as well. I think it's a little more simple for me in that I think the Titans coming off what they just pulled off in the two wins in 10 days or whatever it was, was outstanding. I just sense that they may be headed for a little bit of a hiccup, and and really that's just a feel on my end. I like the Titans. I think they'll be there in the end, but I just see a little hiccup coming uh, at some point here, and and the Steelers, for all the reasons you mentioned, coming to town with uh, a little bit of desperation and and wanting to show, uh, you know, that they are the the, uh, Steelers of old. I'm with you on Pittsburgh. I like Ben. I like their defense. I also think that losing Taylor Lewan to Tennessee is going to be a hard one for them to overcome. I know they have some younger guys that they're going to throw in there, but this guy was a leader on offense. He was the, you know, the, the the thing that kept that running game together. And I think that's going to be a big loss. I see the Steelers picking up for the slack for Devon Bush, losing him. I think it's going to be a little harder for Taylor Dewan. So I'm, I'm going to pick the Steelers as well. Yeah. And this could be a case. I, I feel like in doing that, picking Pittsburgh, that I may just be, you know, selling Tennessee a little short, you know, oh yeah, Tannehill's good, but he's not that good. Well, you know, maybe they're going to show us in this game. So I can't wait to watch it because I, 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 I think they do have a chance to win the game and it could be a statement game for them again, but I will go with Pittsburgh. Uh, I, I will give the two points. Maybe Pittsburgh wins a, uh, wins that one. Now, another interesting game to me, very interesting game actually, is Tampa Bay at Vegas and the Bucks are favored by two. John Gruden used to coach the Bucks. I think the Bucks thought they were going to get him uh, this last time, put him in the Ring of Honor. I think there, uh, I think it had to be very disappointing for them when they were going for the big name, and he went to the Raiders. The Raiders have had a bye week, so they're sitting there watching, preparing for those Todd Bowles blitzes and, sch- and schemes uh, in a way that maybe Green Bay, on one week's notice, uh, didn't wasn't able to do. So. Um, I'll let you go first on this one. I would normally be a little worried about Derek Carr against, you know, a ferocious pass rush. What do you, what do you think in the game? I have seen, yeah, I have seen growth in Derek Carr the last month that I hadn't seen in five or six years. I'm, I'm with you on that part of it. I think to me, and again, beyond the numbers, I think he's shown toughness. He's shown mental toughness. He's shown thick skin. He's shown a competitive desire and and a little bit of a spark that I wasn't sure he had. The biggest questions I had on Derek Carr were what would happen when he got hit in the face? Would he get up and get in the huddle again or would he kind of, you know, squirm around on the ground? I think he's gone over the toughness part and he is an NFL quarterback now. I've seen the grit. I'm with the with Vegas on this one. I do think coming off a bye is a great advantage. Tampa had a big game last week in Green, you know, playing Green Bay. Um, maybe a little letdown for them. I, I, I'm in with the Raiders. I'm taking the points, and uh, I think John Gruden comes up with uh, a little bit of a revenge factor per se, but a, but a big win at home against Tampa. Randy, I'm going to go on the other side. I'm going to I'm going to say that Tampa Bay gets it, and this is me. Uh, this is me sort of still wanting to see it more from Carr. I think that's a great, I mean, if you're a Raider fan, 
probably frustrated over the years, but for a lot of reasons. But I think Carr, you know, Carr is one of those guys who's had decent stats, but people like you, Randy, and people in the league have, you know, just don't like him. You know, they don't see the the toughness. They see him throwing the ball away and, and being a little skittish. And so for you to see that from him, if that's true, that's huge for them. I mean, that, that's huge for them being able to just stick with Derek Carr for longer term and John Gruden being able to win with them. So uh, that's that's really great to hear from a Raider perspective. And all uh, probably really believe it after you are correct this week <laughs> and the Raiders win the game. I will just sort of play the doubt side of that, and I, I will go with Tampa and give the points, so we'll see um, how that goes. But those are two really good games that I can't wait to see. And, uh, you know, if Derek Carr steps up and, and does that, I mean, wow, that would be the signature win. Wouldn't that be the signature win? I mean, for... for it would be a great win for, yeah, for not only Derek Carr, but for John Gruden as well, and for a lot of the reasons. Uh, let's face it, they have not got over the hump yet in Oakland and now Vegas. And at $10 million a year on a 10-year contract, there has to be a little pressure on Gruden to to be more than 7, 9, or 8, and 8. So they've got to get it done. Yeah, and, you know, I said it's a signature win. Well, they did win in Kansas City, Sando, last time they played. So that's a, that's a signature win. They, they got a signature win. Derek Carr got one. And if they beat Tampa Bay, that's another one. They have lost to Buffalo. They have lost to New England. So they've still got to prove it, but that's going to be a, a really good game. Our final segment, Randy, Ask the GM. It's time for Ask the GM. We have a couple of questions here. I will give you the first one. Do you think the NFL will revert back to the old IR rules for players after the season, or will they like the results this year, give teams more flexibility to bring players in and out? That'll be our first question. Randy, what do you got? I saw this question when it came in, Mike, and I'm glad we picked it to talk about it. It's really an easy answer for me. They will definitely go back, and here's why. They do not trust the teams to police themselves. The the rules, the way they've been this year for COVID reasons, have allowed a lot of leniency with players going up and down on on injured reserve and blah, blah, blah. That will not happen in the long term. They, They don't trust that teams will put legitimate injuries on and they will stockpile players and stockpile rosters because of it. Um, for years, uh, you had uh, to deal with these limits of when you put a guy on injury reserve, he was done for the year. So it really made you keep rosters uh, the same. They weren't as fluid. And they'll go back, I think, to a stronger, uh, more stringent rules of, of 53-man rosters and, and not having the... Uh, necessarily 16-man practice squads. I think all these rules will go out the window for the most part because teams just can't not collect talent and stockpile and sometimes uh, maybe even fudge the medical rules to keep guys on injured rather than releasing them. So there's a lot of legalities there. I just don't see these rules as holding true for future years. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Now, I think the, the biggest uncertainty is, are we still going to be under this COVID protocol thing? Because yeah. we keep thinking, well, by the season, that'll be over. Oh, you know, maybe by the Super Bowl. Oh, well, certainly next year it'll be. And here we are. So hopefully things do get cleared up on that front and they can have the flexibility to go back to rules the way they used to be if they want to. Our second question revolves around the Chicago Bears, who, by the way, are first place in the... NFC North, and you can tell we must not be buying it. We didn't even mention them on the whole podcast. I mean, you know, we are not, I don't think we're buying it, but 
The Bears need offensive line help. This is a question from, from Christopher. The Bears need offensive line help. Is there a name that would make sense for them to trade for on their offensive line? And it seems to me to be, well, I'll, let you, I'll just let you answer that question. The Bears needing offensive line, it doesn't put them in a category of being alone. There'll be several teams <laughs> that are looking for offensive linemen. I know the Eagles will be shopping as well and happen to be out there already. So there's going to be a little supply and demand issue, and, and usually that means uh, a player is going to, uh, you're going to have to give more than you want to get a player. I would probably start with teams that are GM less and that are up against it cap-wise next year. And that means Atlanta, for, for one thing. I think Atlanta has spent some money on some offensive linemen, and they do have a guard, James Carpenter, who has kicked around the league, kind of a veteran, a little bit of a journeyman. They might be willing to part with him because of his $5 million cap number. I don't think he's the answer, but he can surely get you through a season. Players like that with teams that are looking to shed some cap uh, you might be able to get an offensive lineman. Find an offensive lineman and defensive lineman is rare, though. It's rare to, to be able to acquire a guy like that in season. As, as we talked about in Tampa's case of acquiring the Jets' defensive tackle uh, last week during the season, I mean last week during the game, yeah, Steve, Steve McClendon. McClendon. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so that doesn't happen very often. But I'll say this, your GM better be aggressive. You better be working the phones right now constantly. I would always want to get in the middle of every deal I could. Whether we make the deal or not, we can always say no. So I would hope the phone lines are starting to burn up. I know Howie Roseman a little bit, and I know he'll want to be aggressive. He may be a little more aggressive than Ryan Pace in that he is not afraid to make a deal, not afraid to be criticized for a deal. Sometimes you got to go out on a limb a little bit. So it's really the personality of your GM now that kind of says if you're going to make a deal or not. There's a bunch of teams that won't even answer the phone. So that's a, a, a full You're not philosophical, calling the Bengals? Yeah, philosophical, you're Bengals. yeah, philosophical difference that just organizations believe in or not. So I do think the Bears could get better in their offensive line. I also think the Eagles are going to be shopping, and there may be another team or two that are shopping for offensive linemen. So it comes down to supply and demand, Mike. Yeah, let, let's just let's we got another minute here. Let, let's talk about the Bears a little bit as you know a team with a, a record that's better than we thought it was going to be, maybe better than it should be. Um, if you were them, would you what would you give up for an offensive lineman like those journeyman type guys? Uh, and then what uh, do you, do you think that they can contend in that division? I mean, there's seven teams from each conference are going to go to the playoffs, so maybe there is a window. Or do you think that? They're just not that good, and it's going to all even out. I think they're going to be over 500. Well, I think their defense is going to make them over 500. The defense is special. There's two or three defenses in the league now that are playing really good. The Bears are one of them. So I think they almost owe it to the defense to make a move up yeah. front if it means get an offensive lineman. And when you ask what you'd give up, I, I think I'd be willing to give up a fourth or fifth round pick for a guy who has – you know, two years left on his contract. I'd give up less if he only has one year left on his contract. But I think there's a case to be made there that uh, you could get a little better. And even if you mortgage the future, it makes sense. Yeah, I'm with you. With you on that. Randy, great show uh, today. Thanks for coming along. Um, folks, you can find Randy on Twitter at Randy Mueller underscore. You can find me there, Mike Sando uh, at Sando NFL. going to have a great week seven hopefully we're gonna get our picks right and uh come back next week randy thanks for coming along thanks a lot guys 